try that again. Good morning, church family. That's better. Great to see you all here today. You know, when I was a teenager, uh, one thing we got to do in high school is we got to go on a trip with our school band. They're still doing that, like our, our kids are preparing for that, which is exciting. They go down to Florida, march in Disney World, kind of a cool thing. Well, when Jess and I were in high school, uh, there was this ride, I think it's still there at Disney, called the Tower of Terror. Okay, there's like holograms, and they take you up in this uh, kind of elevator. It's really just a ride that brings you suddenly down and suddenly up, and you're kind of surprised when it drops. And you better be seatbelted in really well, or, or you might die, you know, kind of a thing. So, uh, But we sang this song, because I think it had come out that year or something, but you'll, you'll recognize it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And we would try to time it where it would say, I feel fine, as we'd fall. Ah! I feel fine, <laughs> as we're falling down these floors. So that got me thinking, well, that was my tie-in. You're welcome for that story. I don't, it just hit me this morning. Is it the end? Is it the end of the world? And why Israel? Why is Israel going through so much craziness and war? And um, There's a lot happening in this world right now. And so I will say to you up front, I'm going to give you a little teaser. Yes, we're closer to the end now than we've ever been. I will also say this. We will be closer to the end tomorrow <laughs> than we've ever been. Right? Did you know that the disciples themselves, um, you know, according to what Jesus had said, believed they were living in the end times? And that was 2,000 years ago. Every generation subsequent to Jesus has believed that Jesus will return in their generation. All right? Now, having said that, there's some crazy happening in our world that makes me believe it's coming soon. Right? Now, now, soon, soon as in uh, years, okay? I'm, I'm not saying tomorrow. I'm not saying go sell your farm. I'm not saying build yourself a giant dugout in the, in the woods. Some of you might have done that. Tell me where it is so I know where to go. All right? Um, just kidding, of course. But let me ask you a question. If you truly believed this was the end, let's say we have 30 days, how would you live your life? That's, I'm going to come back to that at the end, but how, what would you do if you had 30 days, don't cheat, Darren, if we had 30 days to live, what would you do? What would you prioritize? What's in your heart that you would put forward? And so, yeah, so questions come up, you know, regularly, is it the end? You know, so many things have happened in the last two, three years that, my goodness, it makes it feel like the end, doesn't it? Wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and plague and all the things that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, which we'll get to, which are signs of the end of the times, we're seeing more and more and more of those things, aren't we? I mean, we really are. So, yeah, let's, let's, let's get into it. I, I'm going to pray because I need prayer this morning. And you all need me to be prayed up before I preach this. So, Lord... I thank you, God, for this day. God, I thank you for each person that's here. More importantly, most importantly, Lord, I thank you for the word of God that is alive and active. Lord, it penetrates even to the deep parts of our soul, dividing out truth. 
Lord, I pray, God, that you would speak truth through me this morning, Lord, and that your word would go forth and change our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you didn't hear, you, you have been living in a hole somewhere that Israel was invaded uh, by Hamas, which is a Iran-backed terrorist group that hates the Jewish people. They, they broke through into Israel, Gaza's on the southern border, and they indiscriminately killed between 12 and 1,400 Jewish people. Uh, beheading babies, okay? I mean, that's sick. It's sick. War crimes that you, um, you know, would be war crimes, right? Not just like regular warfare. This was just an invasion and indiscriminate house-to-house killing. Um, We would, you know, be able to identify or understand, I should say, Hamas as similar to what we know as ISIS, okay? Um, Also a a Muslim uh, group, uh, extreme Muslim, obviously, that hates Jewish people, hates America, wants to see death to uh, the Jews. And so they came in and they invaded and they did it kind of low tech. Um, You know, Israel has the Iron Dome, which is a a missile protective system. And and Gaza has been launching missiles into Israel for years and years and years. And they've gotten pretty good at, at deflecting these missiles. And so anyway, they came in low tech. They, you know, they've got um, checkpoints at the border, and so they would, when a car was at the checkpoint, they would kill everyone, and then they would invade that checkpoint. They came in with hang gliders, shooting people as they came. Um, terrible stuff. This is terrible. So, and, and we would liken that to, to our 9-11, right? That would be the, or, or our Pearl Harbor, okay? Um, yeah, so 1,500 people. If our, the ratio is similar, if our population was the same, it would be like 25,000 Americans dying. All right, so, so this was straight up, 100% pure evil, right? It just was. It, even if there's tension and stuff like this from the past, like this was not any kind of a just war. This was indiscriminate killing of the Jewish people. And so Israel has every right to defend themselves and to um, proclaim war. They did proclaim war. This is the first time as the nation, since the nation was reestablished in 1948 that they actually have declared war. And so that's significant as well. Um, they have had, they've fought many battles that we would probably call war, including right when Israel was, began in the 1960s and 70s, there was wars. Um, this was done 50 years after a skirmish in 1973 where they were also attacked uh, unwittingly in 1973 at the end of a Jewish holiday, holiday, Yom Kippur, where they were reflecting on the law of God and, and they're invaded and, and killed. And again, it's, it's terrible, it's atrocious. Um, and so they're, they're fighting this with the entire world watching and saying, you better not mess up. You know, well, what, what about the fact that we just got invaded in, in a terrible way, right? But the rest of the world is watching, and, and it's very interesting. And so, yes, this puts my end times alert on aware mode, okay? Not on freak out mode, not on Jesus is coming tomorrow, 
but on aware mode. Because Jerusalem is an important, important piece to watch as the end times progress. Israel is important to watch as the end times progress. So there's 9.4 million people living in Israel, and it's roughly the size of New Jersey. All right? So we are not talking a big area here. It's a small uh, nation, size, you know, land-wise currently. And the Gaza Strip on the southern border is host to nearly 2 million Palestinians. The sad part is Hamas is also the government of Gaza. And because of that, um, there's just uh, oppression. They run the schools. They run the hospitals. They hide their military behind them so that they can um, say, you can't attack us, basically. You know. So we need to pray. Man, we need to pray for the people of Israel. We need to pray for the innocent people in Gaza who don't have a choice that their government is corrupt and terrible, right? And so we need to just believe that God is going to step in in this current battle, in this current crisis, and that his will would be done. And we'll pray for that together at the end here today. But we just want to go back a little bit and ask the question, why? Why Israel? Why is there always this battle in the Middle East going on? You know, I remember ever since a kid, you hear of little skirmishes and wars and back and forth. And how come? What's the big deal with Israel? Well, it's a big deal with Israel because Israel's a big deal to God. In Genesis chapter 12, and this is where it starts. It starts in our Bible. We should know a lot about Israel because as followers of Jesus, we've been given the history. How cool is that? You guys have an inside look into the nation of Israel because of your Bible. So in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram, who he later calls Abraham. And he said, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. It is important to be on the right side with Israel. All right? I'm just saying that. It's important. And get this. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. All peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. I think that's on the next slide, I hope. Is it there, Kyle? Okay, awesome, good, thank you. It's already there, I'm blind. Thank you, Kyle. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. What's he talking about? Well, not only will nations and peoples that bless Israel be blessed in return, but Jesus came through Israel, right? The Messiah has come and all people on earth have been able to connect with the living God because Jesus came from heaven to earth, was born a Jew, born of his own people, even though for a time his own people rejected him. A lot of people are still looking for the Messiah. Well, we know he came. We know he is Jesus. And so I just want to finish before I keep preaching. Verse 4. I don't think I have this on slides, but I'm just going to read it to you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. If you are older, you are not done, right? 
You have a mission, you have a call from God. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they settled for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, and this is key, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. All right, seems like a little, almost a side note, but no, to your offspring, I will give this land. Who has the earliest claim to the land of Israel? The Jewish people that God gave, he gave it to them. All right, so why does a nation the size of New Jersey have so much influence and so much hate aimed at it? Here's the simple answer. God chose a people to spread his light and love from. And because he chose a people, he did not choose the other people. He chose a people. And ever since then, Satan knew exactly who to target. And all throughout history, he has done his absolute best to kill the people that God made a covenant with. He has done his best to eradicate them from this world. Why? Because if he can kill the Jewish people, he can prove God unfaithful. But you know, God's not going to stand for it. He's not going to stand for it. Why? Because he is a faithful God. He will fulfill his blessing and his covenant to the people of Israel. And through the new covenant through Christ, we have been tied into the blessing of the people of Israel, of God. We have been engrafted, the Bible says, into the holy tree, the holy vine. But our, as Paul says, our engrafting doesn't make us more important than the Jewish people. No, it is completely by grace that Jesus came and the Gentiles, being us, unless you're Jewish by descent, have been grafted in through faith into God's family tree. We're part of God's family tree, people. It, it's miraculous. It is simply miraculous that God loved us enough that he sent Jesus to die for us. And, and, and through that belief, we are given hope and freedom and life. But here's the thing. God gave the people of Israel his covenant. And there was a whole system of covenant that God had with them. Part of it was the Israelites needed to keep their side of it. And their side of it was to serve him only. And there was a, a sacrificial system to atone for sin. Uh, animals died. It was bloody, you know, in order to pay for sin. And, and ultimately, the old system didn't work. Why? Because people were too people-y. Right? And if you've ever wandered even for a time from the Lord, you know you're too people too. <laughs> and you probably wouldn't have kept the covenant any better than they did. <laughs> Speaking for myself, at least. They worshipped false gods. They, they were told not to do specific things. Don't intermarry with the peoples around you, because if you do, you will begin to worship false gods. They will lead you astray. And ultimately, they did that. They left the Lord. They forsook the Lord. 
And God allowed invading countries to come and take them captive. Before that time, uh, at its greatest moment, King David, or at its, at its height, King David, you know, we know David, you know, killed Goliath, ultimately was given the, the kingship. He, he was a king after God's heart, although very imperfect. If, you know, just check out the story with Bathsheba, that's messed up. Um, you'll, you'll have to check that out at some point. But ultimately, David's heart was for the Lord. And he desired that there would be a place where God would make his presence known here on earth. And so he wanted to build the temple. So he laid aside all of the goods, all the costs, all the expenses. But God told David, no, you've been a man of war. There's too much blood on your hands. I can't build the temple, or I won't allow you to build the temple. But David laid it up, and his son Solomon was given the blessing to go ahead and build the temple. And so Solomon, when he's a young king, he sacrifices 10,000 animals to the Lord in worship. God appears to him in dreams to Solomon, what do you want? Whatever you want, it's yours. You can have it. And Solomon asked God for wisdom. He says, look, I'm young. I don't know how to lead this people. Show me, Lord, how to lead this people. Give me wisdom. And God, as a result, he replied, he said, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that, there will, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Kings and queens of the world would come to Solomon to just bathe in his wisdom, to receive what he had. They would bring gifts and present it to Solomon. The kingdom of Israel was at its absolute height. They were, you know, the richest land in, in the world, the known world at the time. And ultimately, Solomon kind of messed it up at the end of his life. There was two big warnings God had for Solomon. Don't acquire too much gold for yourself and don't have too many wives. He did both. <laughs> Why? Because he's people-y. I, I made up a word for the sermon. He's people-y. He's prone to his flesh. He gave into sin, temptation. And so he began to build little altars to the gods of his wives. Hello, you're the wisest man in the world. You know where this is going to lead. Now nah, the people he took over in him. And so he had all these wives, and he amassed for himself uh, tons and tons of gold. But for the sake of David, the Bible says, God did not bring about the consequence in Solomon's lifetime. He said, no, I'm going to let that go until the next generation. And then one of Solomon's sons, Rehoboam, Rehoboam, oh, I don't know, that's a tough one. Rehoboam, thank you, Ed. It's all about the accent, Rehoboam. Good job. Anyway, Rehoboam, he's on the throne. Solomon, his dad, has passed. And the people come to him and said, Rehoboam, your dad Solomon taxed us a lot. You know, they were acquiring more land. They were building the nation. Would you please lessen the toll that you have on us? Rehoboam decides, well, how about I ask my 
dad's advisors. So he goes to them. They're like, yes, you should definitely lower the taxes. He's like, let me go ask my own advisors. All his age, young and dumb. They're like, no, no, no. This is your opportunity to assert yourself. Put your big thumb on them and double the taxes in essence. And that's what he decided to do. And so he, you know, committed leadership suicide. That was a really dumb idea. Decided to not only not hear their request, basically, but to double the taxes. And as a result, the kingdom of Israel split in two. And the part that rebelled under Jeroboam um, became the northern part. They retained the name Israel. The southern part, with Jerusalem as still as its capital, um, became the kingdom that was left. So you had these split tribes of the people of Israel. And ever since then, the kingdom just kind of went downhill. They had good kings. When there was good kings in, in both places, north and south, God blessed them, just like he said he would in his covenant. As they honored him, he honored them. Um, and then they had some bad kings, and then things would get worse and worse. And eventually, both nations forsook the Lord. They just blew it. They, they peopled too much. And, and so the northern kingdom was taken into captivity in 722 by the Assyrians, who did not treat them well, right? Babylon came and took them in 522 also, or excuse me, 586 BC. And he took the, they took the southern tribes into captivity. Let's not forget that before the kingdom even started, Israel had been in bondage to Egypt for 400 years as slaves. Right, so again, we see this anti-God, anti-Semitic ideology from the beginning. The, the Egyptians treated the people terribly, and while God allowed the Babylonians and Assyrians to do what they did, um, they, they paid for it, and, and prophets prophesied about that, that they would also pay for what they had done and how they had treated Israel. And so you have this people, this place where God's presence literally would come from heaven to earth and rest in the temple. And, and it was precious to the Lord. And let me tell you, Israel and Jerusalem are still precious to the Lord. The, the people of Israel have in many ways rejected Jesus. But that does not mean that God has rejected them. In Romans 11.25, Paul talks about this. Before the end, there is going to be a great return of the people of Israel, and they are going to know the true Messiah. There is going to be a great revival in Israel. In Romans 11.25, says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, that's God's choosing, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. What that means is the covenant that God, even though Israel left the covenant, God's covenant of blessing with them has not faded. Just 
in verse 30, Paul says, Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. That's a lot of words there. (laughs) But ultimately what he's saying is, Israel experienced a hardening. They rejected Jesus, but as a result, God opened the doors to the Gentile people. Because of that, guess what? We're in. We're in. Praise God for that. But before the end, Israel returned to the Lord. And just as there's been a great drawing of people, even at Israel's rejection, there will be a greater drawing of people when Israel says yes to Jesus. And so that's going to be a sign, right? As far as I know, that hasn't happened. But that'll be a sign that the end is near because they, they will accept Christ before, on, on a large scale before the end. So again, we can say that anti-Semitism is a geopolitical thing. We can say it's a social economic thing. But at its core, it's a spiritual thing. It is. Um, Semites. Three sons came off the boat with Noah. Ham, Japheth, and Shem. Shem is the father of the Semites. That's where Semitic peoples came from. That's where the term anti-Semitic comes from. And so God calls us to be the opposite of that. He calls us to continue to show love to the Jewish people just as he continues to love the Jewish people. And, And we should support them. We should support them in what's happening in the world today. We should pray for them, number one. Um, you know, as I pray, our, our nation gets behind them in whatever way necessary. I pray that, that um, we would be used for God's glory to bring peace and safety to the land of Israel. I do pray that there would be, you know, no war is completely equitable, right? I mean, people die. And... and And let me tell you that God loves people. He wishes that all people would come to himself. He wishes that the leaders of Hamas would repent and turn to him so that they could be saved. And that's my prayer as well, that that everyone in the Gaza Strip, all the Jewish people would return to the Lord and there would be a great saving. However, we do need to pray and we do need to support Israel and And we do need to watch. Watch and pray. I want to skip ahead to Matthew 24. In verse 4, Jesus said, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You know, you hear of little cults that pop up here and there. And usually by the end of the thing, there was someone who had a Messiah complex. Said, I'm the Christ incarnate. And they all drank some Kool-Aid and died. I mean, it's terrible, but that's, that happens more. He says, watch out, no one deceives you. Many will come claiming I am the Messiah. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Okay? Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. I love this analogy. Um, Someone else shared this idea that the end times are like a woman giving birth. And you know that contractions 
there are really intense moments, and then there's a relaxing, and then there's more intense moments, and a relaxing, and eventually, intensity, and the baby comes. Well, similar to the end times. We will see moments of intensity. We will see wars like it's happening in Israel and Gaza. Maybe we'll see positive signs that will be intense. Maybe there will be a great revival in Israel that we'll get to hear about or maybe even witness. How awesome. And then there will be times of relaxing. And so in all these things, in the times of relaxing and in the times of intensity, how are we to live? We're to live like Jesus on this, on this earth. And so, yes, the end is coming. Yes, the end is far nearer than it was 2,000 years ago. Do we need to freak out? No. Jesus, Jesus warned us not to do that. Um, I want to keep reading here. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Okay, these are the beginning of birth pains. Verse 9. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. That's happening, right? I mean, how many people were beheaded because they chose to say, I follow Jesus? By God's grace, we don't see that here in the United States. Hopefully we never will. But in other parts of the world, if you come to Jesus, there's a good chance you're going to be persecuted or put to death. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I pray that, uh, that we would not grow cold. Amen? I pray that we would increase in the love of God for each other and for the lost. But there will be an increase of wickedness. We see increased wickedness in our land for sure. But verse 14, this is a real key as well. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The last figure I heard is there's 3 billion people who have not yet heard, been preached to the good news of Jesus Christ. So we've got a ways to go there. But let me tell you, again, things are speeding up, aren't they? I mean, travel is far more easy in these days. The Internet's accessible in these days. People will hear about Jesus. And so the end is progressing. It's speeding. But I would say that it's not something that we need to fear happening anytime really soon. But you know what? I'm not going to give you a prediction of when. Number one, that would be very foolish. Pastor Joe used to tell me there was a guy who wrote a book, 86 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1986. Well, 86 came and passed, and he rewrote the book, 87 Reasons Jesus is Coming Back. For real, like this happened. So no, I'm not giving you 24 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 2000. No. But the, we need to have an awareness. We need to realize that what happens in Israel is significant. Um, there will be, if, if for further study, I'd encourage you to read Ezekiel chapter 38. Don't have time to go there this morning, but there will be an end time battle over Israel. And according to Ezekiel 38, there will be no aid to come to this battle. It will be a regional battle. We can see big players potentially stepping into this current crisis, Iran and Russia and Turkey and possibly China, you know. I pray not... And, I'm not an expert, but 
I pray that those things don't happen. I pray that this de-escalates. I pray that the United States military would not have to be involved, right? We don't want troops to go over and die. But we trust that defending Israel is good. It's the right thing to do. And so we pray that it de-escalates. But should these things all happen, and it looks like World War III is going to happen, you could see why nations would be like, sorry, I'm out. I pray that we're, we wouldn't be that, you know, lacking courage in the United States. But, but who knows how it's going to play out. But anyway, these things, the current uh, war, I would say points to a potential of what could happen at the end. And I'm going to leave it at that. Because I'm not an expert, but I will say the Bible gives us strong clues of this great end-time battle that will happen over Israel. No one will come to their aid, but God will step in and destroy the enemies of Israel. And, and they will have a time of peace. And so we believe for that. The Bible says that we should pray for peace in Jerusalem. And so we pray and we believe that, that God is going to bless that nation and we should bless that nation as Christians. We should have a solid understanding that the people of Israel are still God's people. Yes, many of them reject Jesus, but there's a time coming when they will accept him, and it's going to be amazing. I want to leave on a positive note. In Revelation 21, it talks about a new Jerusalem coming from heaven to earth. And it says, Then I saw... Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So it's interesting when he talks about a new heaven and a new earth coming down, everything will be renewed, but the specific city, the city that God loves, where he first placed a temple where his presence would dwell, is going to come down from heaven. Get this. They talk about the dimensions, and if you put it into terms that we understand... It's going to be 1,000, just the city of Jerusalem. It's going to be 1,378 miles wide in all directions and 1,378 miles tall. All right, so current, all of Israel, the size of New Jersey, this is going to be from, or what could be size-wise comparison, from Tampa, Florida, to Dallas, Texas. Now that's a big span. Up to Des Moines, Iowa, and across to Washington, D.C., that's a big Jerusalem. Well, guess what? You're probably going to have a house there. Uh, <laughs> the new Jerusalem will have 18 million acres and will be big enough, as one person said, to hold a quadrillion people. And that's each of them having a 2,800 or 2,800 square foot home. All right? So can... 
Is there enough rooms in, in my father's house? Ah, uh, yeah, there's enough rooms. <laughs> and that's just Jerusalem, right? But the heavenly city, there will be no need for artificial lights. Why? No need for the sun. Why? Because Jesus himself will be their light. We're looking forward to it, family. It's going to be amazing. Oh, plus, I'm told the hunting in heaven... To die for. <laughs> Not too soon, hopefully. I mean, uh, it's getting deep. Lord, bring us back. All right. No, just kidding. All right. So I want to ask you as we end here, if this was the end, what would you do? If you had 30 days, 30 days to live, what would you do? Would you, number one, focus on acquiring more stuff? No. Focus on getting to the top of your career. No, uh, what would, you'd focus on your family, rightly so. I also encourage you that you probably wouldn't focus a whole lot on people you know are saved. I think you would focus a whole lot on all of your friends and family who do not yet know Jesus. And family, that is our call. Until Jesus returns, that is our call, that we would love the people that are not yet part of the family and bring them in and tell them about our faith and encourage them. And of course, we live our lives and we do the things, but we can be out shining the light of Jesus each and every day where we are, where we go, and, and we can believe for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is, as it is here, or as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you that you have given us uh, wisdom, Lord, from your, from your word. Father, we thank you that Israel is your people. Father, we pray in Jesus' name for peace in Israel. Father God, we pray in Jesus' name that this current conflict would de-escalate in the name of Jesus. Father, I, I pray, Lord, that, Father, even as uh, Israel is is at war with Hamas in the Gaza Strip. Father, I pray, God, that it would end soon. Father, that they would be able to reestablish an effective border. God, that, that they would be protected because they're your people, Lord. Father, and I pray for all the people that are in Gaza. Lord, I pray that, that by your grace there would not be too many civilian casualties, God. Father, I pray that that there would be a great turning to you in Gaza. Father, that, that there's people there that need to enter into your family as well, Lord. So Jesus, we ask this, Father. We pray for peace in our world. Father, we thank you for the freedom that we live in and take for granted so often. But Father, I pray that even as we do live in end times, Lord, that you would turn our hearts towards you. Father, and that we would fall in love with you, Jesus, more and more every day. God, that, that love would be infectious to the people around us, Lord, that we'd be able to share your truth and your love and your life with them. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you that you are coming back to take a bride home with you, Lord. And I thank you that because of our faith in you, we are part of that bride. We love you, Lord. Bless your people, we pray this week. In Jesus' name, amen.